Faith. Faith is a mysterious thing. Uh, we sing about it every Sunday, and it sounds good. But here's the thing. Until real challenges or difficulties hit us, we don't know if we really have faith or not. When our lives are nicely put together, you know, when things are going really well, there's no need for faith. The writer of Hebrews states, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, if the things that you can see are all good, why believe in something that you can't see? But when real difficulties hit us, when we're blindsided by an unexpected tragedy or a major setback, is when we know whether we really have faith or not. At those moments, I mean, some people somehow seem to be able to persevere, to keep carrying on, and even smile through difficult moments, while others seem to crumble and fall into despair. There's a woman in today's passage, this woman, she had no reason to have faith. I mean, everything that she could see was a dead end. For 12 years, she had been suffering from hemorrhages. In other words, she was bleeding constantly. A lot of scholars think that meant she was menstruating constantly for 12 years. So she lost all her money, it says. Back then, women were not allowed to have their own property or money. So what does this mean? She was probably married to a husband, so using all her husband's money, but if you're bleeding, that, can you get, be intimate with your husband? No. So a lot of strain, very isolated existence this woman had, physically and also socially. This is a hidden condition. So there was no visible reason for her to have faith that things would get better. But somehow, she pressed on. When she heard Jesus was in town, she didn't even wait for an opening. She barged through a crowd, pushed and shoved her way through just so that she could touch Jesus. What is it that made her keep pressing on? I realize that when we've hit a dead end, when hope seems to be lost, when there's really no light at the end of the tunnel, you know, faith, it's not something we create. Rather, faith is a gift. When circumstances are so bleak, like there's nothing in those circumstances that we can manufacture faith with. Faith is a gift that somehow enables me to keep striving, keep straining, and patiently wait, despite the bleak circumstances that I see. And often at that moment, you don't even know that it's faith that keeps you going on. It's often only later on that you realize it was faith. You know, so this gift of faith is what enabled the woman to keep pressing on and eventually reach out and touch Jesus. You know, at our retreat this past weekend... Uh, we were so blessed 
by the wonderful and powerful testimony of Bob and Irene. Uh, we heard all about their journey that began with Irene, Irene's bleeding cavernoma in her brain. They shared the difficulties, the uncertainties, and challenges that they faced and still face. They shared the devastation at finding out that things would never be the same. They don't know when or if Irene will be able to walk again. But they also shared the mysterious faith that somehow kept them and keeps them going on. Although circumstances have been difficult, and they themselves often don't understand why it is they're going through what they're going through, they nonetheless have been given the gift of faith that keeps them going on. So why some people have faith in these circumstances while others do not is a great mystery. What I realize hmm, is that whether we have faith, it's not really in our control. Faith is truly a gift given by God, not something that we create out of our own resources. But if faith is not in my control, then is it just luck of the draw as to whether I have it or not? Do I just receive it by random chance? As I reflected on this passage as a whole, I know it was a long one. I hope you followed along. I realized something. This passage, it's not only or mainly about the woman. I mean, if the passage was only about her, we might admire this faith that she had, but could we really relate to that? When all these things are going against you, like, how many of us can really muster up that kind of faith? Yes, you know, faith is a gift, but do we believe that we can just get it like that? But I believe this passage, it's actually more about Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, the father of the sick and dying girl. See, the story of this woman, it comes right in the middle of the story of Jairus. And so Mark, the author of Mark, he often does this. He sandwiches a story within a story. And there's often a message that he's trying to convey. See, Jairus, he was a leader of the synagogue. This meant that he was an upstanding man who was seen as faithful to the law. He was respected by his peers and his community. So life was probably pretty good, and he was doing all the right things in life until his daughter became gravely ill. His world had crumbled. Everything that he thought had been important probably shattered in light of this devastating situation. And so this led him to desperately ask Jesus to come and save his daughter. But then we see his desperate plea to Jesus seems to have been for nothing when his people come and say that his daughter has died. At this point, Jesus says to Jairus, Do not fear, only believe. Hmm. Do not fear, only believe. So the issue and the suspense now in this plot is, will Jairus have faith? That's the issue. On the face of it, it's game over. I mean, his daughter's dead. What is there to believe? I think in almost any circumstance, I think he would have folded. He would have said, you know, my daughter's dead. You know, Jesus, thank you. But please, let me just go home. 
to mourn and grieve my daughter in peace. Because really, what can be done now? Huh, but wait. This isn't any ordinary circumstance. Jairus, he has just witnessed something. This is what he saw. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. In other words... In front of Jesus and the whole crowd, she gave her testimony. She gave an account of all that she had been through. Her hardships, her isolation, her despair, the many dark moments she went through. Yet, a mysterious will that kept her going, and a crazy and illogical faith that if she somehow reached out and touched Jesus' cloak, that she would be healed, and how this indeed had happened. Jesus' response to this testimony of faith was simply, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of this disease. What a testimony! And what an experience it must have been to witness this account. This testimony did something to Jairus. So after Jesus' command of do not fear, only believe in the text, we don't hear any response from Jairus. We don't see anything from him. We do hear about the people around him, those people who told him not to trouble the teacher any longer, the people at his house who were weeping and wailing and causing a commotion, and these same people who laughed when Jesus said that his daughter was only sleeping. But we hear nothing about Jairus. I mean, I imagine he probably had many different thoughts going on in his head. I'm sure he was shocked, stricken with grief. Confused by what Jesus had said, I'm sure he had doubts about what Jesus was doing. But what we do know is that he allowed Jesus to lead and do his thing. He simply followed Jesus' lead. So I believe that at this point, he too received the gift of faith. Not a faith free from doubts, because I'm sure he had them, but a faith that trusted nonetheless. So where did this faith come from? I believe that this faith came from the woman's testimony. See, the gift of faith that the woman received helped her carry on with her own struggles and eventually touch Jesus. But her faith also became the gift of faith for Jairus to help him and lift him up in his own struggle to cope with the news and to believe and trust Jesus. So we see here a deep interconnectedness of faith where one's own faith deeply affects the faith of another. At our retreat last weekend, uh, we learned about spiritual gifts. In particular, we learned two Greek words used in the New Testament, used for gifts, charismata and pneumatica, right? Charismata are gifts given to individuals. So these are innate, you know, talents or abilities that you're born with and given with. So some people, you know, are very gifted in music, like people on our praise team. Others are gifted just in serving or encouraging. Some are gifted in speaking, So our own talents belong to us, and they can really be used for my own benefit only or for the benefit of others. Now, pneumatica, 
These are gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are gifts of the Spirit that don't belong to any one individual, but they are possessions of God. Now, the, and these gifts are manifested through individuals at particular moments. And the purpose of these gifts, it's to build up the body, the community of believers. You know, so when Bob gave the testimony, he began by saying, public speaking is not my gift. And Bob, you know, maybe you're right. Uh, maybe public speaking is not your charismata, your innate talent or ability. But man, Bob and Irene, for those of us who are there, you know, your testimony of faith became God's spiritual gift for the community. Right? Through your honest and raw telling of your struggles and challenges, many of us received the gift of faith through your testimony to find strength for our own challenges and struggles. And so for that, we do thank you and we thank God. You know, the good news about this gift is that it's not a randomly given thing. The gift of faith is available for all of us in the community of faith. When Jesus left the earth, he promised to send his Holy Spirit. This Spirit moved among uh, his believers to create the church, the body of Christ. The church is God's gift to us. You know, all of us here, we're just normal people, right? Who face the same struggles, challenges, and hardships in life, just like anyone else out there. We're also just as flawed, broken, weird, quirky, like anyone else in this world. But we are a people who cling to belief, sometimes desperately and often foolishly, that God looks out for me. It may be foolishness to the world, but this foolishness becomes our strength for life. In the community of faith, our struggles to hang on, to keep going on, become our testimony of faith. And we become testimonies of faith for one another. So God gave us a gift of faith at the retreat through Bob and Irene's testimony. But they also shared how they were able to find strength and faith from the community. And Bob said that they saw God in us. You know, in the community of faith, there are times when we are testimonies of faith for others. And times when we draw on the other people's testimonies of faith. That's what it means to be a community, right? Sometimes I need you. Sometimes you need me. And together, we are all here for one another. And what a blessing that is. It's so different from a world that preaches self-reliance, self-sufficiency, not depending on anyone else but me. And what a myth and fallacy that is. But what gifts... God has given to us the gift of faith within the gift of community. Our testimony of faith, you know, which is our account of how we persevered and waded through our challenging times, become good news for others. And for those of us who are there, I mean, what a special time. Bob shared a letter that he wrote to Irene when she had to remain all alone in the hospital not knowing what would lie ahead, but knowing that everything was now different. He titled it Banana Bread, because Irene has a gift for making amazing banana bread. 
And, then, and also at the retreat, our, our sister Chris, she was reading the scripture passage from 1 Corinthians, uh, but she accidentally pronounced it as 1 Koreans, right? Well, I was thinking about it. I was like, maybe Bob's letter, it can be called 1 Koreans because it's a profoundly theological letter that we can draw strength and insight from. And Bob and Irene have graciously allowed their full testimony, including the letter, to be posted on our website. So I encourage everyone to go. It's in the, in the News and Views section. Read it and comment on it to share how their testimony has affected you. This letter, it's their testimony, their account of their journey of faith. And I believe it is also good news for us. You know, he begins the letter by talking about a banana. You know, it starts green and then gets yellow and ripe, which is when everyone loves it. But if it's not eaten, it gets bruised, spoiled, and then tossed into the green bin. Ah, but the good news is that instead of getting thrown into the green bin, there's good news. And I'll read a portion of this letter here. Babe, and this is Bob speaking. (laughs) We got to keep it real, right, Bob? Babe, I fell in love with you, my banana. You are different. Everyone loves you. You are yellow like a banana. I fell in love with you when you were your best. It was easy to love you when you were ripe. Everyone loves a banana when it's ripe. However, like some bananas, you started to spoil earlier than you should have. You started becoming dark and bruised. However, instead of expiring and going to the green bin, God had a greater plan for you. He handpicked you to transform you into something else rather than letting you go to the green bin. He had to peel away your outsides, but kept what I fell in love with, your insides. God then mashed you into something you couldn't even recognize. He broke you. He broke you so he could mold you like clay into something even more beautiful. He added different ingredients to make you whole again. He then put you into a pan, which is the hospitals. Then was the hard part that only you can do alone. He put you into the oven, which represents your wilderness. It's somewhere only you can go alone like Jesus did. The heat around you that is testing you is the devil, just like Jesus our Savior had to endure. Right now you are being tested, and I know how much you hate being alone, but the oven is a place only you can bake alone. After all the baking is done, no matter how long it takes, you will become a banana bread. You will become someone new. You will not be the same banana you were, but be grateful and give glory to God that you didn't go to the green bin. You will be whole again. You may not be the same banana, but a new creation that was baked by God. Amen. This is the gospel. It's a gospel that comes from a testimony. We are all bananas that are bruised, spoiled, ready perhaps to be tossed into the green bin. But God has reached out to us, taken us from the refuse pile, placed us in the oven where we go through our own wilderness, only to transform us into something else, a new creation, a delicious banana bread. May God grant us the gift of faith to carry on through all that comes our way. 
And may our own stories of struggle, perseverance, and hope be testimonies of faith for one another. And may we draw strength from them in this beautiful community of faith. Amen. Let us sing.